Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report magazine. I'm Susie Racho, in for Sasha Coca. Today's show takes us to Shasta Dam, about nine miles north of Redding. It's a crucial piece of California's water system. Water from three major rivers, the Sacramento, the Pitt, and the McLeod, backs up behind the dam, creating Shasta Lake. It's the state's largest reservoir and it could get even bigger. Work is now underway at the Shasta Dam for a plan that has been decades in the making. Geologists have been drilling for core samples on, in, around, and within the dam. The plan is to raise the height of the dam by more than 18 feet. Data from the samples will be used to determine the engineering needs for construction. The federal government is studying what it would mean to raise Shasta Dam 18 and a half feet. If they do that, the three rivers that feed the lake will back up even further, flooding many places along the McLeod River that are sacred to the Winnemum-Wintu people. I think a lot of people have a hard time uh, seeing Winnemum sacred sites as as sacred because uh, they, they're trying to compare it to a church or a mosque or something of that sort. Lila June Johnston is an indigenous scholar whose research focuses on human ecology and native worldviews. For example, the Ganges River is a huge river in India, very sacred to the people of India. Nothing can designate it as sacred. It's just the very history and its connection to people it makes it sacred. And so why can't these boulders and pools and creeks and forests and mountains be sacred to the Winnemum Wintu? Today, we're sharing part of a new documentary series from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. It looks at how the Winnemum-Wintu lands bordering the dam have already been changed forever, and how they're trying to protect what's left. It's called A Prayer for Salmon. Host Judy Silber picks up the story with Chief Colleen Sisk, who says in many ways the sacred sites are what hold her people together. The Winnemum-Wintu say their sacred sites exist as a constellation. So if one is flooded, all of them can be changed. Those on the river would be directly impacted by a Shasta Dam enlargement. 
but it would also energetically alter those high up in the mountains. It's an outcome that weighs heavily on their minds. Visiting the sites helps them deal with the stress. We travel back to the river all the time, but we, really, we don't really have a, a landing place. We don't have a place that we can leave our things. Like, this is home. Instead, Chief Kellyn and other Winnemawintu have to travel for more than an hour, starting from the rural reaches of Redding, California, where a core group of them live. On this mild June day in 2018, they organize food and supplies before taking off. Today's group includes extended family members and friends. It's a small caravan's worth of cars with about 20 people. We'll drive to three sacred sites on a mountain that rises above the McLeod River. Chief Kellyn drives her dark blue Ford Explorer, and as we travel north, her eyes scan the landscape. The snow-capped Trinity Alps rise up in the west. The higher, sharp peaks of the Cascades hover to the north and east. We drive onto a bridge that crosses over the Shasta Reservoir, and she notes that with a higher Shasta Dam, these water levels will go up. The water will go up past these toilets. We turn off the highway and wind through a thick conifer forest. Before American settlers began grabbing up land in Northern California, this was all Winnemumwintu territory. Now it's managed by the U.S. Forest Service. We pass public campsites. Then we turn onto a bumpy, steep dirt road and climb upwards. Chief Kalin stays attentive. She slows to look at clear-cut patches. She shakes her head at the idea that trees are considered renewable resources. Our first stop of the day is a sacred spring. A small but fierce waterfall pours out of the mountain. Everyone piles out of the cars. People are joking around. If you were in the other car, I was like, hey, that guy looks like James. And then when he opens the like, that is James. On damp soil, the group gathers in a loose circle. Everybody got smudged with our, our root that we use all the time. This is Helene Sisk. She's Chief Kalin's sister and the Winnemumwintu's song leader. Of the two sisters, Helene is the quieter one. We don't really use the sage and all that stuff everybody else uses, so we use it, our root. And she, if she sees something about you that needs a little prayer, then she'll come up and give you a prayer. She explains that to purify their energy, one of the guys smudges. He waves the smoke of a lit root around each person as they stand still with arms outstretched. Then another whispers to remember the good things, to listen and speak with their heart. And we uh, wash our face and hands and then put some water on our heart and on top of our head and say a little prayer there and it helps you out. So it's like a cleansing? Mm-hmm, kind of, yeah. Kind of good for you, good for your mind to make you feel better. But just to know that you did that, you know, and you know it's good for you. We pile back into the cars and continue climbing the rough road 
until we stop and everyone gets out of the cars again. The men go off into a sacred sugar pine grove to pray. Meanwhile, the women and children stand around. Kaline's son, Nechai, lays out large pine cones neatly in a line. I found another one. I found another one. Some of the women start chatting about how the pine cones fell early this year. Yeah, a couple of months. <laughs> like, oh uh, yeah, the world is off track. The world is wrong. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> world is. We're on track. The men come back, we climb back into the cars, and continue the steep climb upwards until we reach the top, a place the Winnemum Wintu call Universe Rock. It's a remote spot with towering trees, entirely removed from the bustle of modern life. The group pulls out roughed-up metal tables and chairs from the cars. They set out picnic foods and rake pine needles to clear space for a fire on the forest floor. By now, it's late afternoon. The skies are cloudy, and at first, it looks like rain. Michael Preston, the son of Chief Kaleen, sits with his back to a tree. He holds an animal skin in his lap. I ask him what he's doing. I'm just making a fox quiver. A ceremonial case to hold arrows, made from the skin of a fox he found dead on the side of the road. It's for the dances, for the war dances. Michael is in his mid-30s, with clear eyes and dark, thick hair pulled back in a ponytail. He's a deep thinker. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in society and the environment. But what he values the most is the spiritual side of life. As we talk, he stays focused on the fox skin. He scrapes back and forth with a small knife. Good place to work on it out here on the sacred sites, actually. Away from everything and just in nature's best, most clear way, I guess, to make it. The Winnemum Wintu have a word to describe the sacred, to describe these sites. Sawa, but sacred. It's the closest Christian term that we can come up with, I guess. Divine, holy, I know, all those words. And what is the word again? Sawal. I mean, language is always going to fail how, how what's really going on, but that's our attempt, put it in simple terms, I guess. You know, kind of like the, in the, kind of like the Tao and Taoism. Same thing, but it's just trying to explain what the Tao is. I mean, it's the whole book. <laughs> Same thing for Sawal, I guess. The American government has never made a lot of room for the indigenous idea of sacred, or Sawal. To explain, I'm going to leave Universe Rock for a bit and introduce you to a really important person in recent Winamamwintu history. I'm praying for the whole world. This is Chief Kaleen's great-aunt Florence Jones. I'm praying for all nationalities, the white, the red, black, the yellow and the brown. I'm not just praying for what Mondo people are here today. I'm praying for the world. When Florence Jones was born, her elders identified her as a powerful healer and groomed her for the role. By the time she died in 2003, at the age of 95, she was respected by Native people all over California and beyond. 
News of her death even made it onto the obituary page of the New York Times. The earth, the mother earth, the high wind, the tornadoes, just showing you people that you don't understand. Now I'm here to tell you what the nature is told me to tell you today. For you don't believe in nature. You lost everything. She would go into trance and she would talk to spirits and she would tell people what was wrong with them and they'd be crying and grown men would be crying. I'm a little kid watching this. And like, it was always very serious, like no talking, like no, nothing. Like, And she, the way she did it, like, I can't really explain it. Like really, it's just very real about it. Something, you feel it like it's, like there's something going on here. Like, not just something, there's something very big going on here. Florence Jones was a young woman when Shasta Dam went up and displaced her people from their river. But with her knowledge of the old ways, she helped the Winnemumwintu hold on to their culture and ceremonies. In her later years, those who knew her well called her Grams. Grams and then other leaders in the Winnemum were decided to get in the face of the federal government. Claire Cummings is an attorney who spent decades doing pro bono work for the Winnemumwintu, starting when Florence Jones was still alive. She says Native American ceremonies were illegal for much of the country's history. That forced communities such as the Winnemumwintu to practice in secret. In 1978, Congress passed the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, It guaranteed tribes access to their sacred sites on public lands. After, Florence Jones applied for a permit to hold ceremony at a place called Decus, on the west side of the McLeod River. Claire Cummings says the application was a gutsy move. It forced government officials to acknowledge that the Winnemumwintu were still here, and they had rights. Saying, I have a right to my ceremony at Decus. And she had the right to continue her ceremonies there. As a lawyer, Claire Cummings was curious about whether the law could further support Native American religion. Her father had worked at Glacier National Park in Montana. He he was born in 1891, and he worked in Glacier National Park and lived with the Blackfeet. And this is in the early 20th century. From him, she learned to respect indigenous wisdom. He said, who were the first people here? Pay attention to what they knew and what they learned. It seemed natural to me to consider um, the first peoples in any place where I was. She realized the law prioritizes protection of private property, not indigenous sacred sites. Our legal system is utilitarian. It doesn't see the value of something that's 10 thousand years old and an oral tradition passed down from generation to generation that is kept secret, perhaps, or danced or dreamed or sung. That's just not part of the Western culture way of grasping the world. In the 1980s, the Winnemumwintu owned no land along the McLeod River. Their sacred sites were on private property, national forest, and logging company land. 
To hold ceremony legally, the Winnemumwintu had to either apply for permits or ask permission. Not exactly ideal. But then, out of a mistake, came an opportunity. It all started when loggers cut down ancient trees from a sacred sugar pine grove, the same grove that we visited today. The land is owned by a logging company called Sierra Pacific Industries. Private property owners can mostly do whatever they want on their land. But in this case, Sierra Pacific wanted to do something called a timber harvest. That required a state logging permit. Well, the problem is, is that they got the permit and then they didn't respect the restrictions that were placed on that, so they, they, they desecrated the sugar pines. They cut down the trees. Florence Jones was devastated. Sugar pine trees live upwards of 500 years. For all that time, her Winnemawintu ancestors would have gone to these trees to pray, just as she now taught the people around her to do. Not too long after, a group went up the mountain. It included Florence Jones, Sierra Pacific representatives, along with Cal Fire, a few archaeologists, other timber people from the state, and Claire Cummings, the Winnemawintu attorney. We went up the mountain and we stopped at the springs and uh, we're sitting there and Grams did her prayers and Grams gave a talk which talked about how injured she and the place was. And she went into trance. She came out of trance and she said, the spirits have said, I can forgive you. So she said she forgave them. Claire Cummings said the people at the meeting, including those from Sierra Pacific, felt really badly. They cared a lot. They were hamstrung by their jobs and who they worked for and their Western viewpoint. So, so what do you do in a situation where they actually really care, but there doesn't seem to be an obvious answer? Well, in the back of my mind had always been this idea of getting land back for the Winnemum. She suggested Sierra Pacific sign off on a cultural conservation easement as reparation for the desecrated sugar pine grove. It would permanently protect three sites on the mountain, the Sacred Spring, the Sugar Pine Grove, and Universe Rock. It would allow the Winnemumwintu to visit and hold ceremony at these sites whenever they wanted. No logging or development could take place on these grounds, ever, even if Sierra Pacific sold the land. In some ways, it's a better deal than actually owning the land. In this case, the cultural conservation easement um, gave them all the rights that they needed, which is ceremonial. You want to be able to just go there when the right time is to do the right dances and songs and pick the herbs or whatever it is you need to do. It was a big deal. The Sacred Spring, Sugar Pine Grove, and Universe Rock now had permanent protections. And the Winnemumwintu had permanent access to the sites. Back at Universe Rock, the sky's clear. Members of the group grab chairs and trudge through overgrown, dry vegetation. 
It's not clear where we're going until we come to an outcrop of rocks where the mountain drops steeply below. Looking out at the valley, seeing pretty much nothing but trees, it's easy to understand this as a sacred place. In the distance, we see water flowing through the McLeod arm of Shasta Lake. Chief Kelly's son, Netshire, runs to the top of a large boulder. What do you see? I see everything. Come up here. It's so cool. You can see everything. Look. I can look down because I'm not scared. Everyone takes a seat on their chairs or on the ground. They face Chief Kaleen, who stands on a large rock, her back to the vast valley below. Beside her is a small chest filled with supplies, such as her pipe, tobacco, and abalone shells. She begins to speak to the group. Some of you are, are brand new to here, but this is a, this is a sacred place here. And uh, Grams and everybody did a lot of work to protect this from the loggers, protect this from the people who say they own this land now. When the Winamamwintu want to pray hard on a problem, they say they're going around the world. It's not really the whole world. It's a tour of Winamamwintu sacred sites. These sites are all connected, but each one offers a different energy and power and is occupied by its own spirit beings. Universe Rock is the last stop. This is where we can uh, unload. Um, if you're carrying a lot of stuff, then you just put it down here. You just let them take care of it. Let them take that. Do away with it. You know, you don't want to carry it around no more. Then you give it to them here. Done talking, Chief Kaleen directs that everyone gets smudged down. Once again, a few guys walk around with the smudging route and also some sacred spring water so everyone can put a little on their hearts and the top of their heads. A few people collect pine needles for tea. Others stare out at the view. What I see? I see, uh, I mean... You see all the old-time trees out here. This is Nick Wilson, nephew of Chief Kaleen. He's in his late 20s, tall, with sharp features, handsome. It's not always easy being a young Winamamwintu to stay engaged in this way of life and still have a means to survive. So it's nice seeing those old-time trees and it's nice not seeing a whole bunch of houses out there. It's real, real peaceful, real beautiful and It'd be, uh, it kind of make, makes it take me back like I wish I was back in the old days, you know, like being up here, seeing how it looked. The trees connect Nick to his ancestors and the culture he's committed to. This is one of our sacred places. When people have come here a long time before me, before Kellen, before, you know, long, long, old, old time place. We're just here putting our prayers down, letting the spirits know that we're still here and we're still still needing help because, I mean, there's a lot of battles going on right now and this is the, the closest place we can get to Creator. That's why it's called Universe Rock. Which brings us back to the battle against a bigger Shasta Dam. 
even in this place of refuge where they can relax and let go a bit, the threat to their sacred sites looms large. If the dam raise happens, I don't know, like, um, I don't know, just how does it make you feel? Uh, the dam, if, if the dam raise happened, I would be very disgusted and sad and scrambling to my sacred places to see what else can we do. She'd come back here and to other sacred sites. She'd look to them as you would a friend for wisdom and the strength to keep fighting against the odds. The sun falls below the horizon and everyone takes the short walk back to the fire. They set out the food and sit around in a circle, chatting, gossiping, and poking fun at one another until it's well past dark and it's time to quench the fire, load up the trucks, and leave. This story was brought to us by The Spiritual Edge, a podcast from KALW Public Radio. Judy Silbert reports and hosts the series. You can hear more about how the Wintu are working to protect their sacred sites and return salmon to the waters above Shasta Dam. You can find The Spiritual Edge wherever you listen to podcasts. There are also some beautiful photos of the people and places in this story at thespiritualedge.org. Thanks to the team who helped make A Prayer for Salmon. They include Jeb Sharp, Loretta Williams, Tarek Fuda, Chris Igusa, Lindsay Myers-Humley, and Danya Abdel-Hamid. Have you ever heard someone calling your name, but then you look around and no one's there? Or you feel your phone vibrate, but actually it didn't? Then you've technically experienced psychosis. For most of us, it'll never go further. But for people who later develop schizophrenia, it often starts like this. Next week on the California Report magazine, KQED health correspondent April Domboski takes you inside the minds of three young people experiencing psychosis, including 20-year-old Sandy. For her, psychosis hit when she was working her first job after high school at a fast food restaurant. I used to be in the kitchen frying the food or making the burgers and stuff. It was after Christmas, and she'd been stressed out from working too much and not sleeping enough. 
my coworkers would just be chatting it up or like talking about work stuff. And Sandy got this weird feeling that somehow they knew what she was thinking. Like her coworkers could read her mind and were discussing her thoughts. I was like, are they talking about burgers or are they talking about me? <laughs> there was one coworker in particular, a guy she had a crush on, and she was pretty sure he was watching her, even following her around. If I was walking down the street or hanging out in the park, he was like always around. Sandy's mom says she wanted to sleep with the lights on. She said, Mom, is someone here? I can, is someone here? I said, no, no one's here. Are you sure? April will have more of Sandy's story next week, and we'll hear from two other young people who've experienced psychosis. They'll describe how it crept up on them, how it took hold, and how new treatments help them rewire their thoughts. But also how insurance companies won't pay for the full package of care. That's it for the show this week. We're a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Our interim senior editor is Katrina Schwartz. Brendan Willard is our engineer. Jessica Carissa is our intern. I'm Susie Rocho, sitting in for Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.